0: hello and welcome to the undercut podcast i'm jesse billington
1: and i'm ellie may taylor
0: and we're here at the 2023 goodwood revival we've got some rather nice shelby cobras behind us and there's a gt500 mustang there um yes it's the goodwood revival it is a fantastically hot weekend this is already day three um it's been chaotic busy um where have the first two days gone
1: I honestly don't know. I don't feel like I've seen half of what I really kind of wanted to, but it's just so big that you
0: can't. (laughs) There has been so much going on. We've had celebrations of Lotus at 75, Carol Shelby's what would have been his 100th birthday, hence the get-up for me. Um, What else have we seen? We've seen, obviously, St. Mary's Trophy Part 1, Septuagint Cup, Whitson Trophy, with Rudge Whitworth with the early Le Mans winners. Uh, Friend of the podcast, Alex Brundle, is currently out on track in a Lotus 27, I think it is, yeah. in the historic Formula Juniors. It's going well. He's moved up a couple of places off the grid already. Uh, there is a helicopter taking off in the background. We've seen spitfires at sunsets. It's been absolutely mental. So um, yeah, time to unpack, I think, what we've seen across the weekend. So yes, you join us now back in essentially Undercut Podcast Studio, or in other words, our houses separately over Zoom, to properly unpack what on earth went down over the past three days. It's now Monday evening. We've had a little bit of a chance to try and reminisce on what we've experienced. I've been working through the nearly 8,000 photographs I took across the weekend, and you've been trawling through the pictures and videos that you've captured as well. Um, this is your first time at Goodwood for the revival you've done Festival of Speed a few times before but for the revival what are your what were your initial thoughts as you walked through the gates on Friday morning because I very much just sort of pointed you at gate number two and said off you go I've got to go do some interviews I'll catch you in there in a minute and sort of left you to experience that on your own so what 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 was your initial sort of thought uh
1: I think as I went through gate two, there was a circus display going on. And then I could sort of hear the um, Freddie March trophy uh, practice, which is like your C types and going on. Well, first of all, I think my first thought was, where the hell do I go? You know, it was sort of, if I go straight on, I've got the race action. If I go to my right, there's a huge revive and thrive section is like where do you where do you start it was I think my first reaction was just I'm overwhelmed it's like where do you go what do you do
0: yeah, it's one of those things that you walk through the gates and especially if you go through gate two, which is like the standard one that most people learn through, there's usually like a small sort of display you just do go through and then you come through and there's usually a giant centerpiece thing. Last year when I walked through, the first thing I was greeted by was a downed Roswell alien craft spaceship thing and people protesting that the aliens had arrived because last year was the uh, anniversary of 1952 would have been the Roswell incident, I think it was, and it's sort all of mashed up that way. Um, This year they've gone for, the theme was the greatest show on earth. So they've gone for the spectacle and magic of the circus was sort of very much their sort of theme point to tie everything around. And the Goodwood team were fantastic at sort of thinking up these incredibly inventive themes and displays. So this year they had essentially like a sort of makeshift big top there and with sort of standard circus performers, gymnasts, a ringmaster. Um, Obviously no live performing animals. And that was inventively done with sort of the giant, puppetry stuff the sort of thing you'd see for Warhorse was sort of people operating a giant sort of mechanised elephant which was quite impressive and it was that was what I bumped into as I walked across the road to try and get in after a quick interview I'd done across the road and sort of looking at it going that is four people operating a giant fake elephant oh yeah I'm at the Goodwood Revival this is normal
1: so much going on and it's almost a bit like my first experience of Festival of Speed it's so big And unless you go, you don't really realise how big this is and how, um, when we say you can't fit everything in in like a day, people must think, like, why can't you? And it's just because it's so huge. And it's not really, I don't think, and then until the next year when you go again, you have a real plan of, right, you definitely can't see everything. We need to narrow it down. What do we prioritise? Where do we go? And then you'll see you have more of a plan of where can you go? And I don't think I've processed any of my emotions yet. I don't think it will hit me as to what fully happened over that weekend at all. It was, you know, a case of like you'd quickly go into the paddocks and try and find sort of content there and then you'd suddenly be sort of Seeing drivers like Mark Webber, Max Chilton, Jensen Button, Tom Christensen, Derek Bell, all drivers like that, just sort of milling around, and you're just, just kind of like them, rushing to get to A to B, trying, you know, get to the paddock, then actually get to the um, circuit so that you can then watch the, like, the next race, and it's you're just constantly rushing to kind of get where you want to go, but anything that sort of happens. You don't really process until I don't think a few days afterwards.
0: Yeah, you come back and you then notice all the small things that you hadn't necessarily picked up on in the instantaneous moment. Good. One of the weird things that Goodwood sort of does is, alongside its sort of major theme, is it has essentially roving street performers that fill the rest of the paddock and they are great because they're all dressed in period they all sort of match exactly this time frame that Goodwood sets itself within which is sort of the early 1940s right the way through to 1966 when the circuit stopped operating in period um, and so you have all these people sort of going around like sort of street hawkers sort of 1940s alright oh, like, darling can I say a pair of tights nice pair of new nylons come straight from America so we've got all sorts of things like that and you've got people in fantastic costumes that just add to this weird atmosphere of an event that is constantly bustling and then you if if you had just that if you had just something that was a celebration of that span of time it would be a busy event and then goodwood goes and dumps on top of that the whole over the road section which is a sort of huge bazaar of shopping eating drinking and simply you could go there and just simply enjoy having a nice picnic and mooching if you wanted to if you had no interest in the racing at all there is plenty to keep you occupied there and then they dump on top of it an entire very packed three-day race weekend of uh 16 races all in plus obviously practice and qualifying sessions track parades in the middle of all of that opening up of the track and all the things that go alongside it it's crazy the amount they're able to shoehorn into one event. It's sort of three events rolled into one. It's a, it's a fashion event. There was, um, or throughout Saturday, there were people being sort of selected for the Best Dressed competition. This was something only really sort of clocked when I got home and saw I'd known people that had been sort of picked out. And basically I handed a card through the weekend that says you've been selected for the Best Dressed competition. Please come to X location at a time to be sort of officially judged by well-known people from the fashion industry. I think they had Twiggy handing out the prizes this year for Best Dressed. And you're sort of looking at going, am I at a motor racing event or, am, or uh, am I at the catwalk and or am I at a giant museum where everything is for some reason constantly being turned on, revved very loudly and then turned off and then a plane flies overhead. And you're, you, Even after doing it before and knowing what to expect, you're constantly taken aback by the, the wildness of it all.
1: Almost like a film set.
0: Yes, the whole thing you are surrounded by actors for the large part they generally go around local theater troops and hire the actors to do all the state the sort of street performing stuff and you've got people dressed up as period policemen you've got sort of all the period street performers and then the entire circus on top of it and then everyone else by and large dressed up in period clothing means that you could look at any picture from a previous goodwood revival and not really have a clue what year it is because well, everyone's dressed up as though it's somewhere between 1940 and 1966. It's, it's tricky to tell. And it's we, we were doing the um, press review for Classic Car Weekly because it's 25 years of the Goodwood Revival this year. Uh, we were looking back at some of the pictures we've incorporated into this week's issue from the first Goodwood Revival. And there's a brilliant shot on the grid, and it's of the course car, which is an MGA police car, And I was like, well, that car's still going around doing exactly the same thing and everyone on the grid getting cars prepped is wearing pretty much the same thing and it's still classic cars racing in the the same time span. You're sort of looking at it going, somehow this event has run for a quarter of a century and is still fresh, exciting and doing weird, wonderful new things but looks to the glance of an eye exactly the same and that's part of the strange magic that goes into it and equally the fantastic work of the Goodwood team for certain
1: do you feel a little bit offended that no one picked
0: you for best dressed i don't particularly um <laughs> because i'm never particularly well dressed so I, it's not something i've come to set myself the expectation of is being recognized for being well dressed i know that um a friend and fellow journalist charlotte valden did say oh you're looking rather dapper when i was wearing my suit on friday it would have been but that's because i'm wearing a suit and i think you know, i If you pour me into a suit, I look rather more presentable than usual when I'm usually wearing jeans and a shirt, which is why I somehow pulled off for Saturday and Sunday because I added a Stetson and called it Carol Shelby. But maybe we recognised it as Shelby. It was fine. Um, Would would you have liked to have gone for best dressed in the ladies category or is that giving you something to aim for for next year more so?
1: Maybe. I don't know. Um, I mean, for the first day, I decided that I would wear heels the entire time that was my one 1950s outfit that i wore um i did 12 over 12,000 steps in heels and decided i'm not doing that again so depending on when they would have got me uh, uh the next two days i would have either been in knee high white leather boots or very period 90s dunks so <laughs> Because it was just the quickest way to get around because I was rushing from A to B all the time. I mean, I've almost done 40,000 steps over the the weekend. Um, So I think, and it was hot too. So fashion kind of went a bit out the window and I went more for comfort.
0: (laughs) I think for a lot of people, fashion was sort of becoming very much the second priority, especially over... Friday and Saturday, when Mercury was hitting sort of 30, 31 degrees Celsius. And I mean, I've got my step count in front of me from Friday was 15,600 and uh, Saturday was 16,000. Sunday, I somehow did just shy of 18,000, but I was lucky enough to be wearing Dr. Martin boots. So I had sort of a relatively comfortable pair of footwear on. I feel that many of the women and possibly even some of the men might not have had the same luxury of uh, that with dress shoes and very ornate high heels so yeah it's it's an event that you cover an incredible amount of ground at and yeah spend a lot especially, of time on your feet
1: especially as a journalist I think maybe less so if you're just going regular there. punter
0: yeah if you're yeah. there just to enjoy the event chances are you're probably sort of standing around and sit or sitting around a lot more whereas if you're Ellie Mae or me you're running around finding stories filming bits and pieces taking photographs posting on Instagram and yada yada so it's yeah, you probably won't rack up. You could, if you tried, rack up as many steps as we do. I mean, we didn't even get anywhere beyond really turn one of the circuit and a little bit of beyond Levant. It was, there was a whole sort of two thirds of the circuit we didn't even actually get round to visiting, which is sort of all the back end of the circuit, the main back straight and the grandstands out there. There's not huge amounts of sort of extra bits to spot out there, but it's a great place to go and watch the racing. There is a shuttle sort of tractor that will tow you around. Um... But yeah, that leads us on to the racing. We saw an incredible amount of it across three days. Obviously, Friday was all bar one track session was racing, uh, was practice rather, with the first race of the weekend being the sunset race of the Freddie March Memorial Trophy. And that's where you start to see some of the big names come in, not just with drivers, but with cars as well.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, Jensen Button, like you said, owns a beautiful sort of bronze the only sort of bronze um, colour Jaguar C-type there is and it was firstly owned by Fangio I don't know if there was anyone in between him and Jensen I don't quite know there must have been somewhere,
0: but... It changed hands a couple of times uh, not long after Fanjo, then sort of went into, I don't want to say hiding in South America, but sort of floated around in South America for a bit, then ended up sort of hidden for 10 years in America before it was sort of uncovered, restored, and changed hands once or twice more until I think it appeared in sort of more the European circuit towards sort of the mid noughties and eventually it sort of did a bit of classic racing there, and then Jensen acquired it not too long ago, I don't think. Um,
1: it was... An absolutely dominant car until because it's Alexa Wunken uh, that started the the race and then halfway through you had to pit change drivers and Jensen had a misfire coming out of the pits and it never quite recovered mm. and I think it's something like ten or five minutes to go something like that it wasn't a huge amount of time came in and retired the car which was because it was a, such a beautiful and such a dominant c-type
0: it had been doing incredibly well I'd spoken to Brundle about it after he had qualified because he had been out in a c-type as well for qualifying and he said all eyes are on the button c-type because with Alex Buncombe in the um, second seat for it it is fast. Buncombe has driven the car before and knows how it operates. And when I spoke to Jensen about it, he said, it's a bit of a tricky car to get your iron with. but once you've got the tires up to temperature, it just slides so beautifully. And you get those beautiful shots of it sort of entering the fast corners just with a slight touch of opposite lock and as it just sort of swings through. It is a fantastic car in that regard. And It looked it, but equally, these are period machines. These are old cars. And as much as we love to see them sort of being pushed to the limits with motor racing, they do have slightly lower limits than modern racing cars because, of course, the nature of their design. These are, for the large part, cars designed and built in the 1950s and 60s, but in some cases, even older than that. But that didn't stop them from producing some fantastic thrills on circuit.
1: No, and you think we only saw, what, you had the shortest race was about 20 minutes, the longest race was an hour. And even then, you could appreciate how difficult those cars were to drive in those sorts of short periods of time, whilst half of these cars were doing long distance endurance. You know, you had the 19, you had the um, Whit- Whitworth Cup which was nineteen twenties Le Mans cars. They would have gone round for twenty four hours, and that was actually my favourite race of the of the whole entire um, event. Um, it was just crazy to see. I was located down at the last chicane um, for that one, just before the start finish straight, and the drivers were constantly having to saw at the wheel, sort of fighting the car, yet they still provided incredibly close racing. I mean, the battle for first was mega. Um, It was between a Bentley 3 liter and a Bugatti Type 44, Um, and they were just constantly swapping around, and they even went side by side around Woodcote, which is a risky thing to do in sort of an easier car to drive. It was just...
0: Absolutely mental. Let just see if I can pull up the results for Rudge Whitworth. Here we go. Race results. Um, yep, it was a win for Collins and Graham in the Bentley Speed Model car number seven, which I've got listed here. Is yeah, just a Bentley Speed Model, so it would have been probably the three liter engine. Yeah, and then uh, Fabry and Bailey in the Bugatti Type Forty Four. The gap across the line: point four four nine seconds that when is I... phenomenal
1: yeah because um i watched well. like i said the majority of the race, at the chicane and i thought and at that point the bugatti was in front um and the bentley was in, in second and i thought i'm just going to run to the start finish straight and catch them there and but literally between that time they had swapped around for the Bentley then to cross the line in first I was like what just happened what did I miss
0: yeah uh, it's just some absolutely incredible driving actually I think the speed model was 4.3 litres off the top of my head Um, but yeah you'd get drivers swapping positions several times through a lap and all you have to do is just keep an eye on it on the big screens and you, you've you got this fantastic story being told with these racing cars and you've got a huge breadth of cars in any one race, really, with the exception of things like the Ford Water Trophy and the Levant Cup, which were races specifically for a certain mark of car. We'll get to them in due course. But Rudge Whitworth, the, this is... Listed in the notebook here a 36 minute two driver race for sports cars in the spirit of the Le Mans 24 Hours of the 1920s. So, you've got cars dating back 1924, 1925, all the way back to essentially the dawn of endurance racing with the first 24 hours of Le Mans. And you've got things like Lorraine Dietrich B36 Sports, you've said your Bugatti's Type 44s, 50s, uh, Vauxhall 3098 OEs, Bentleys of many different displacements, Chrysler Model 72s, Sunbeam 3 litre sports. There is everything listed in here, Invicta 4.5-litre high chassis, some fantastically weird and unique examples of motor racing from a 100 years ago. And you've got, like you said, drivers very physically having to control these cars. There's no ABS, there's no traction control, there's no stability systems. You simply get out of the corner, map the throttle, and just sort of try and hold the car in a vaguely straight line. And that became Even more trying when on Sunday it rained as well, which proved quite the leveller of the field.
1: Yes, uh, that was the Royal Automobile TT celebration Is that yes. the full title for it I've just um, I've always been
0: calling it the TT uh, everyone calls it the TT it's the Royal Automobile Club TT or Tourist Trophy to give that part its full name celebration as well because this this is essentially an homage to the race that used to be held at Goodwood which was the RAC Um, and so this is very much a celebration of it an homage to it to the cars that would have raced in that series from sort of the early 60s right the way through to about 1964 I think was the last time it was held there officially so you've got all these fantastic sports Coupes that are taking to the circuit, AC Cobras, plenty of those on the list. Jaguar E-types with many different displacements, TVR Griffith 400s, Porsche 904 Carrera GTSs, uh, the Cheetah Chevrolet. If you've never seen one of those before, give it a Google bonkersly rare car, um, sort of a custom-built thing designed to go against the AC Cobra. Um, Tojero Buick GTs, uh, d- an enormous list of cars in front of me here from this race, with some, again, fantastic names listed in there as entrants and drivers. And Adrian Wilmore, Andrew Jordan, um, blah, 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 works further down the list. Emanuele Piro, Pedro De La Rosa, Gordon Shedd, Matt Neal. Derek Hill, Jimmy Johnson, Tom Christensen, Jochen Mass, Rob Huff, Tiffany Dell, Roman Dumas, Karun Chandok, Anthony Reid, David Brabham. It's a huge, huge field with some fantastic driving talent in it and all for now because everyone seemed to start going off as soon as it got a bit wet, but then you remember they've got at least 400 horsepower in most of these cases.
1: Yeah, the rain certainly changed a lot for that race. Um, It was the Cobras. That were pretty dominant in the dry. And as soon as the rain came down, uh, it was unfortunate that um Andrew Jordan, literally just after he had pitted um, so maybe sort of the tires had gone a bit colder, just whatever they had have got a bit cold, he crashed headfirst into uh, uh the the tyre wall in his in Bizzarini, and it was a beautiful car. So I'm gutted that he crashed it, and then um, I can't quite remember what which other car it was. I think it was another Cobra also crashed into the same barrier, so they had to sort of red flag it. So by then, uh, by the by the time they then started the race again, it was it had been raining a lot and it was hammering it down, and it meant then that the E types came into a race of their own, and they were the dominant ones because. The cobras and the um, stingrays just couldn't match them. It was just one hell of a race and one hell of a sound.
0: Yeah, we were we were kicking around the pit lane on the Friday when it was practice. It was practice and qualifying for the TT. We thought, oh, it's a bit quiet. We'll cut through the back end of the pits and sort of we'll head back to the media office through the paddocks that way. And we sort of stop for a second because you can see there's cars lined up in the pit lane. They're obviously just taking someone off track at that point. And then track goes green and all of a sudden pretty much the entire field starts up at once. The sound it is damned impressive but yeah like you said with the wet the Jaguar is very much at the advantage they've got a, a little less to try and manhandle and control in the regards of power and um not quite as heavy so a bit easier to get stopped as well so I think they gave them very much the advantage when it was uh, slippier conditions but go stand at the chicane there and just watch everything come out of there sideways and the driver sort of trying to get the nose to come round and sort of point it back off down the straight is sublime
1: I do not envy the drivers in the dry dry, trying to race them. In the wet, none of the cars, even down the straight, were going straight, especially the Stingrays. They were just going sideways. It was just absolutely mental. And as well, we've spoken about the Red Whitworth Cup and now TT uh, Club TT celebrations, and both of them had... Uh, drivers that had raced in period at Goodwood. Um Derek Bell was in a Lorraine Dietrich B36 sport um sport, which was actually owned by my my French is so bad, but the Automobile Club de l'Ouest. I kind oh. of not to. That- you know, the people that put on Le Mans.
0: Le Mans, yes. Automobile Club de uh, de, de, de l'Ouest. Yeah, I think that's how it's pronounced. It's been a while since he used my French.
1: Um, Who also, bless him, you know, these drivers are now in their 80s. He had to do a Le Mans start. He had to run to the car and get it started. Um, And then you had Richard Atwood in the TT um, Celebratory Cup and with a 906 Porsche, and he's that car is incredibly low to the ground, and you're essentially driving it almost led down. It's quite, you know, like how kind of like how Martin Brundles always tries to explain how sitting in an F1 car is like sitting in a bathtub. That's essentially what he had to do, and like halfway. When they pit and did the driver swap, he literally had to bless him, just be dragged out of the car because that was the quickest way to get someone in their mid 80s out of the car. Because that's hard enough for a young fit driver to do, let alone someone who's 80. Um, and they were just two drivers of the five um that were there that raced in period. I think it was just those two that raced. Um, we also had Jackie Stewart, who did his own um celebration uh celebratory lap in a Tyrrell 006 um to celebrate the fact it'd been 50 years since his last F1 championship win. Um and he also had Jackie Ix. He was just having the time of his life, wasn't he?
0: He was just he was Jackie was just there for fun. And yeah. God bless him, he is the sweetest man. And yeah, he he sort of came out, he'd done a few sort of um sort of autograph sessions out in the paddock for a bit. Uh through across all three days he'd sort of been out. And we went to meet him on the Saturday, which was the hottest of the three days, arguably. And I sort of sidled up to him and you know, get talking away. And I we, we both had him sign our uh, media armbands. because you get given the sort of very sort of period looking cardboard media armbands with the little white strings time to your arm. And we sort of quickly had Jackie sign them because we'd like move nothing from sign. Um And he sort of puts his arm around me and sort of pulls me in to get the photograph and I put my arm around the back of him and he goes, I'm sorry, I'm so wet. And I'm like, I don't blame you. You've been wearing an entire woolen suit and it's 30 degrees. I'm surprised you haven't literally fallen into a puddle. Um, But equally on Sunday, I was on the grid for the start of the RACTT and... um, all of the special guests are sort of let, uh, sort of taken off the grid at, at the end because um, the Earl gave a fantastic speech actually at the start of it sort of celebrating the 25 years of the Goodwood revival and equally the history of what it represents and what the whole thing stands for. And um, it had sort of many of the drivers there at the sort of front of the field and obviously at that point they all came to leave. Jackie went to sort of um, across the pits and to the across the track to the non-pit side. And there is a set of stairs that sort of take you up onto the top of the tire wall and then across. And um even in his senior years, he's still standing there ushering other people ahead of him on the stairs and going, No, no, ladies first, ladies first. I'm like that's it, he's just such a nice guy he's just a, a normal so dude nice. and a nice person and yeah it was fantastic to get to meet him again and yeah get a picture with him I'm obviously dressed as Carol Shelby so it's that sort of weird moment when years down the line I'm going to have to explain to someone why I met five-time Le Mans winner Jackie Ix and I'm wearing a Stetson and dirty brown jeans but eh
1: well I was dressed a bit like Sharon Tate so I feel like I have some explaining to do as well. <laughs>
0: the, only, yeah, the only way I've ever been able to explain Goodwood to like non-car people is if they if they've ever been into the sort of like comic books and stuff like that, and if they've ever been to Comic Con, this is Comic-Con for car people. That's entirely what it is. You dress up in silly costumes, you get incredibly hot, and tired, and your feet ache for several days at a location that's slightly tricky to get to, and you're surrounded by hundreds of other fans that love the craziness of this one thing as much as you do. And you can either insert the word motorsport into there or cars or comic books and sort of anime and everything into it. The, the, the result is very much the same concept just executed around a different theme and Goodwood has sort of nailed that very much.
1: You're also talking about how the um, Duke of Richmond or Lord Lord March have you want to call him um did a did a fantastic speech uh before uh bric uh tt and he also mentioned how sustainability is very much at the forefront of um goodwood and we saw it in two respects really we um saw it during the four water trophy which was all porsche 901s at uh, 9-11s built before 1966 they all ran on sustainable fuel and um as well um across i think some of the other races then some of the cars were on sustainable fuel too i know um the bentley three liter which is from the 1920s um that's hugely unsustainable fuel and you know if we're going to sort of keep classic racing and even cars that are being produced now um, going in the most sustainable manner. This is kind of how Goodwood are trying to do it and trying to make it sort of more approachable for anyone to try and change their car and use sustainable fueling. And then as well, as we said, in the Revive and Thrive section, that teaches you about sort of repairing, upcycling, thrifting clothes. Know it's everyone turns up obviously in 40s, 50s, and 60s attire, which, as we said, really adds to the atmosphere. But they try and make you thrift Mm. anything or just re or try and use what you've already got in your wardrobe rather than going out and specially buying sort of new outfits for this.
0: Yeah, the the sustainable fuel side of things is, is very interesting because you said we had ford water trophy it was a completely sustainable fueled uh, race for the 911s fantastic racing from them as well we had a, a brilliant list of drivers in it So if we pull up the list quickly as he flicks through his book here we go ford water trophy a 45 minute race to 45 minute two driver race for two liter short wheelbase porsche 901s and 911s built before 1966 and again you've got names like tom christensen chris harris uh, matt Neal. Uh, working further down this. Charlie March, actually, the son of the Lord himself. Um, Gordon Shen, Nigel Greensall, Oliver Bryant, Jensen Button. Uh, Further and further down we go. Mark Webber, Valina Ix, Jackie Ix's daughter. Um, Back up the other list, you've got just sort of all the owners as well. And again, some recognisable names dotted in there. So you've got these beautiful cars being raced around the circuit and they're producing with this fuel at least 80% less greenhouse gas emissions, which is a fantastic step forwards and is exactly what you want to have happening with something that has not got a good reputation for being environmentally sustainable. But if there's these advances being made in the small world of classic car racing, obviously we appreciate It's, it's a very small world compared to many other large sports around the world but when you look at the the impact it has and equally the sort of road going application of it the fact that you can go out there and buy sustainable fuels for not only your classic car but your conventional road car um Correton produces loads of them p1 fuels are the ones that supply the fuels for the classic bentleys they can produce a fuel that is capable of running in a 1920s or 1930s bentley at race speeds but it's even easier to produce one for a modern engine that's able to meter out its airflow and sort of balance things out with its sort of ECU. If you're producing something that needs a very specific combustion chamber and pressure to run things on, they're the people to go to for fuels. I think it was Anglo-American Oils produced the fuel for Ford Water. Several other cars were running sustainable fuels. Last year, there were cars doing it and it's a growing trend. It's becoming more and more popular because you can get a fuel that's specifically tailored To your car and your engine as well you get a a fuel that is designed for older engines and therefore it runs better it runs cleaner and it was i'm trying to remember the fellow's name now who was setting who sort of set up at least 10 of the 30 porsches that were in richard tuttle um he was one of the sort of car sort of guys behind most of the porsches that were on the grid and um or the car preparers and he said we'd seen a slight sort of growth in power and certainly in fact the engines seem to be a lot more happy running on the sustainable fuel they've been running a weekend or two prior over in france at paul ricard for a classic event there and then immediately brought over to goodwood had the, the sustainable fuel poured in and away they went with no adjustments to the engine but everything is running just as happily if not more so no worries about temperature or anything so yeah there's a great example for what can be done to preserve the sport, and equally, sort of show that it's not just sort of oil-based gluttony at this point. There is a relevance to what is being done, and I think that's it's there's the the added bits that Goodwood's able to put together and say, this isn't just a celebration of classic racing. This is pushing to find the next step. Festival of Speed is fantastic for finding that next step with the electric cars going up the hill and the hydrogen fuel cells and all the de, sort of driven development there. But the revival has just as much of that as well. Every element of what makes a fantastic car show, from a journalist's perspective, from an engineer's perspective, from someone who's environmentally minded, from someone who wants to know where the next technology is coming from, The Revival has that. If you just want to watch loud V8 cars go round and round a circuit, it has that as well. Things like the Whitson Trophy with Ford GT40s and prototype cars from that era absolutely bellowing their way around the circuit you can hear them from all over the place so it's another example of the fantastic classes of racing that are brought together but i think you've already mentioned it what what your favorite class or favorite race across the weekend would have been and for you that would have been run with then for the for that battle for the lead that'd be your favorite race that you saw
1: yes so i will let you do yours <laughs>
0: I'm going to have to go for the one that's immediately sort of my my obvious choice is the St. Mary's Trophy. And I love the touring cars from the period last year. They Goodwood sort of flip-flops between doing it from 1950s or 1960s touring cars. Last year was 1960s touring cars. So we had sort of Jaguar Mark IIs. We had Ford, Falcons, Galaxies, Minis. This year, they went back to the 1950s setup, So we had Austin A30s against Alfa Romeo Julias. Okay, it's a few A40s just at the tail end of the 50s. And then the big Americans came in the form of, I think it was a Buick Skylark and a Ford Thunderbird. And the Ford Thunderbird is run by uh, Bill Shepard Racing and it was driven by Roman Dumas, the Le Mans endurance legend, and uh, someone who's sort of, and through a series of going to so many of these events, become a bit of a friend of mine, Fred Shepard. And Roman won on the first part of the St. Mary's Trophy, a pretty decent win with a good two second lead over the cars behind um then roll around sunday the track is now a bit greasy and damp in places and the ford is not the easiest thing to get off the line it is significantly longer than everything else and wider and heavier yeah you've got to bear in mind that they have the standard sort of garages and pit bits around goodwood which you can back a car into and you've got a bit of length at the front and rear the ford is so long that it has to be parked diagonally across two to have any chance of fitting in it is a giant barge of a thing um but it's got a 70 to v8 so it sort of makes up for it in the straight and it was a bit slow getting off the line and the fords always struggle with that sort of thing you trying to put down that much power and that much weight is a bit of a nightmare but once it's up to speed that thing flew and fred got it up to first through the race and then it all came a little bit undone through backmarker traffic because you've got this huge diverse field of cars. You've got sort of cars that are way under a litre with things like the Austin A35s um, buzzing around, or even further under a litre with things like the three cylinder, two stroke Saab 93B, I think it was, that was running around absolute raz can of a car. So it sounds fantastic. You've got this high revving sound that sort of whizzes past in a cloud of blue two-stroke smoke and then the thundering V8s of the Fords and the sort of singing Jaguar V straight sixes. It's a great sounding race, but the racing action, because you've got this jumbled up field with back markers and traffic, meant that eventually Fred was caught by one of the Jaguars and the Jag just gets a better run on uh, overtaking traffic and makes the pass into turn sort of one and then two. So he's got the final pass for the lead to do all over again on the final lap. So you're sort of thinking, oh, it's all gone a bit Abu Dhabi 2021 all of a sudden. Um, And then coming into the final sort of series of turns, it's the chicane at Goodwood. And the, the Ford has no way of catching the Jaguar on the brakes. It is too heavy and too big of a car. And it takes a lot of effort to thread it even through the chicane, let alone try and pass someone around it or outside inside. So you're just sort of at that point Gutted, you're like, ah, oh, lost the win. No. And at this point, I'm sort of running down the pits to try and sort of catch him as he comes across the line, then wait for him to come around again for sort of the, the podium celebration. And the first car to come past the end of the pits is the Ford. I'm like, what? I've been, in everyone's sort of gone, well, where's the Jag? and coming out of the chicane its gearbox just failed completely and it just coasted its way across the line and everyone's going so that's a win for the ford and it was a complete class win a complete race win for the st mary's trophy for the uh, bill shepherd prepped um, thunderbird and yeah for me for as a race and It was just fantastic. And it's one of those silly things where you sort of get behind a certain car. I love my big American V8s. And I think that the way Fred drives them on track is quite flamboyant. It looks fantastic, especially against the rest of the field. I sort of, almost welling up, I was like, he's done it. He's he's won the race and sort of stood there at the front and got my camera going and sort of get these sort of photographs as he sort of comes out the car and he sort of got this look on his face going, have I done it? I think I've done it. Does that count? And... Yeah, just one of those sort of completely crackers moments that you could only script is sort of getting the win on the last turn of the last lap of the race on the final race of Sunday. Just absolutely fantastic stuff. So for me, that has to have been my race of the weekend.
1: It's the fact that the um, Mark won Jag as well, It still got third. They, yes. It sort of trundled down the straight, literally just crossed the line, uh, you managed to stop it and then you had the whole team then having to push the car backwards so then it line up on the start finish straight with the other two um it was another mark one as well that got second uh to line them up for to get their um oh what are they called
0: you the uh, winner's wreaths isn't it the sort of yeah, laurel wreaths that you're given yes yeah so it was um yeah, Chris Ward came home in second with just sort of a six-second um, deficit to Fred Shepard. But at one point, there was half a second between them going through into the penultimate lap, and that's where um, Chris got him. And yeah, it had gone from a, a fairly decent lead for Fred at one point, and it just sort of been whittled away with the back marker traffic because it's such a big car to try and weave through. And then, yeah, it just sort of came back to him at the end of the race. It was sublime really um, some of the cars didn't make it quite to the end um, there was a couple of uh, Jaguars that uh, lost out due to a couple of mechanical failures but again that's the thing we're pushing these cars to limits that you wouldn't typically push a 50 60 year old car to so it's or 70 really in the case of, some of these 50s models so it's it's impressive stuff and again, the, the combined oral spectacle of it, the the sound of the three-cylinder Saab, the four-cylinders from things like the Riley 1.5, the um, the Austin A40s and the A35s, and even the weird flat engines from things like the BMW um, the 700 and the Jarrett Javelin, right the way up through the sort of six-cylinders and into the V8s of the big Fords and the, um, the Buick. It was, yeah, just amazing stuff. No it wasn't a Buick, it was a Studebaker Golden Hawk which I don't believe is too distinct from the Buick, but yeah, got to be my favorite race and it, it's sublime stuff.
1: And I I totally didn't jinx any car that I took a picture of at all.
0: Very much became You're a right? running theme through the weekend was what car has Emily taken a picture of and will it finish the race? Answers yes she has and no the car won't. Um
1: it was literally it would literally be as well, not something like it would go half the distance or something. It would have to come in on the first lap. We had it with the St. Mary's Trophy part two with a ja- giant javelin, uh, four water trophy. It was a I'm not too sure what um number it was, but it was it was a nine eleven. I uh, even if I said I really want to watch that race, it was then oh, the race would have a huge safety car. <laughs> in the middle like in the um lavant cup with all the ferrari 250s um they had to add an extra three minutes onto the race due to (laughs) a safety car which was corinth andruk
0: there was a few
1: yeah i think this one was um a 250 gto
0: gto we have to say that with um air quotes around the gto part it is actually a gte that's been dressed up to look like it's sibling gto uh, that's owned by the same sort of owners but yeah it's it was a spectacular spin it's all been all over social media because Karun is hammering through the sort of penultimate corner and all of a sudden the car just snaps right round on him he catches it and brings it back around and puts it in the grass um, keeps it out the barrier, but there is an enormous fireball as the car initially snaps on him, as an oil line to the rear axle just fails, douses the hot exhaust in oil, which immediately catches fire. Now deprived of oil, the axle seizes and the car goes round and round and round, skidding on its own oil, which is on fire. Um it melted one of his shoes, but otherwise Karim was lucky to really get out of that one without any damage to the car himself. Um yeah,
1: he, he, he managed to somehow control the car enough that he literally parked it up on the side of the uh side on the grass verge. And you've got to think, these are Ferrari 250s, they are millions of pounds. I cannot believe any owner of a 250 has gone, Yeah, we'll race that. Why not? What's yeah, well, the worst could happen?
0: We'll put that on track, give it to a very enthusiastic series of racing drivers. and piece it back together when the worst happens there was also there was a 250 drogo a bread van gt um competizione short wheelbases and a couple of gtos some of them sort of homologations or replicas to existing gtos or some of them i believe might have been genuine gtos i know that the one that carun suffered his um incident in was not a um Actual GTO, but regardless, it's still a car that's worth well into the millions of pounds and not something you want to suddenly be in hurtling backwards towards a tyre barrier. Um, and especially not on fire.
1: No, and what I did really like about the Lavant Cup is that it was different 250s that came first, second, and third. Um, the first was a Ferrari 250 LM, um, second was a uh, Ferrari 250 GT SWBC and then the 16 was uh, the bread van uh, the third was the bread van um, which I, I quite liked how it was still a variation of in the in the podiums despite it being a 250 race if you know yeah. what I mean
0: yeah essentially, essentially you've got a race that is by and large all 250s I think there was a uh, one or two I think it was just one 330 GTO uh,
1: eligible. And yeah. one one seven two five. but yeah other than that all 250
0: yeah. and but despite that it's it's a, a busy and packed field uh, but like uh, I say packed um, I think that for the large part Rob Hall came away from it with a pretty good lead in the opening laps at least before Karun had his incident if you go back and watch the replays of the van that 250 LM you can see why it was competitive at Le Mans because it just vanished. As soon as he got to an open bit of track, got it away from the start line. I think he got eaten up on the first corner, but as soon as he was back through, gone. And yeah, I, the sound of all those V12s, fantastic. It's, it's one of those noises that just eats its way through your eardrum and gets right into the sort of the middle of your brain. You're sort of going, oh, that's a buzz.
1: They're the best type of Ferraris. I don't think Ferrari is ever, for me anyway, gonna create a car that matches 250s for me, anyway. They're just they all look so elegant. And they're so powerful as well. It's stunning cars.
0: They really weren't hanging around. So we'll pop back to some of our questions then. So we've mentioned our favorite race already, our favorite car from the weekend.
1: I'm hoping that this isn't yours (laughs) because I've gone for a 1962 it was black Shelby Cobra um I spotted it very very early on in my rounds around the paddock on Friday looking for the content and bearing in mind the company it had around it was GT40s and Ferrari 250s it was it was the Cobra that caught my attention um and I think we ended up sort of speaking about it uh, when we went back to the media center, and it was brought over by um, from America by Bruce Mayer. Um, one of uh, the first Shelby Cobras to have been made was it's it's something like there were three that were sort of made at the same time, and.
0: This is one of those three essentially. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Shelby was essentially sort of cobbling together three at the same time, sort of figuring out the pattern for making them, sort of getting steering racks from MGBs, columns from VW Beatles, and sort of shunting it all together to go, that's my thing. That's my car. And you sort of had three of them come together at the same time. And one of those was this chassis that had been brought, this car, this fantastic car, finished in black. It's got, it's, immaculate condition it's got the Carroll Shelby signature across the glove box lid as well no doubt that was something that was done genuine as well by carol um sort of later down the line and yeah it's owned by as you said um bruce meyer and he is the founder of the peterson motor museum in america so this is essentially this is america's answer to like Bewley. it is the foremost of motor museums in america and it has a fantastic wealth of cars have a look on any of their social media platforms they have all sorts of videos down there from sort of iconic indie cars and NASCARs that are tucked away in there to cars from films. They've got most of the Batmobiles in there. They've even got a Lightning McQueen in there, which is really quite impressive. Um, so yeah, some absolutely fantastic bits there, um, which are...
1: I think even if you look at just Bruce Meyer's collection...
0: Yeah, he has a very, very interesting collection of cars himself and a fantastic man to talk to, incredibly enthusiastic. I'd just chance to go and interview him And yeah, just a a guy who is so passionate about his cars. He flew, or had the Shelby brought over, it landed in the UK on Tuesday specifically for this event to sort of bring the Shelby Cobra. Back to essentially the country where the Cobra spawned from, in a way. Of course, they start out as um AC Aces, which was a British car through the sort of late 50s, early 60s, and sort of they were inspired by very much Shelby's turn at driving, which started out in, I think it was an MGPA, which was a 1930s British sports car. So it's it's a car that weirdly, despite being so very American, has its roots in the UK, and a lot of Americans had sort of come over to celebrate the fact that. This would have been Carol's 100th birthday this year. It was remarkable, I think, yeah, as, as a choice of car from the weekend. I'm hard pushed to beat it, really. We saw some race-winning GT40s, GT40s that had won at Le Mans in period, which is beautiful. I'm looking through the book here and going, what do I pick? What do I pick? What do I pick? What would I pick? If I could take one car from the weekend, what would I go for? I'm looking through the lists and going, oh, I wouldn't say no to a 911. I do like the GT40s.
1: Oh. I was stood next to a, um, a 911, getting con- uh, just taking some sort of pictures of it. And a man came up to me and he's like, do you own this car? I'm like, I wish. He's like, well, you, you just look like you're matching it. Like you came with the car. I was like, well, if I match it, it must be mine.
0: That's the theory we're going to work on. Yeah. I think I'm going to go for a relatively obscure... I want to say for my usual picks, at least. When I write these sort of pieces for work, I always just go for the biggest, loudest American thing I can find. But I've already mentioned the sort of the big American V8s. I think for this, there's a few things that really caught my eye. Do I pick one of the bikes? no I'm going to go for from the Freddie March Memorial Trophy but I'm not going to go for the Fangio C type I'm going to go for the Aston Martin DB3S because to me it's just a just a gorgeous little car with that straight six at the front of it it just looks really nice it's got the cutaway straights down the side just I reckon they would be quite fun to drive a bit of a handful but again like Jensen says once you've got them sort of sliding once you've got a tone to the way it drives I reckon it'd just be experience unlike anything else so a db3s for me and a cobra for you that's a pretty good pick of best cars of the show so we've already said our best race i've pretty much said my best moment which i think has to be for me watching fred win st mary's trophy what would be your best moment Your sort of if you could take one singular sort of 10 second span and say there you are that's my goodwood revival
1: it's so difficult because it's such a totally bonkers weekend that it's not like you have dips and then you see a moment which sort of gives you an adrenaline high and you're like oh my god that's amazing that's the best moment for me because it's kind of it just the moment you get there on the friday to the moment you leave on the sunday everything is bonkers like you know anything from the sound of the cars firing up we've been revving their engines before they get off the starting grid and then you kind of have like these crazy moments like um, I was uh, watching uh, the TT celebratory race going on on top of the pit wall, and um, uh, looks sort of down the pit straight. And um, I look down, and I just see a driver in a in just in overalls It's had like Le Mans with nine dates on it. And I'm thinking, oh, is that you know like a manufacturer that's won Le Mans quite a few times.
0: Is it a replica like race suit? Don't, want make,
1: don't want make that's Tom Christensen. He's just waiting for his car to come along so that he can get he can get into it. It's like it's just bonkers moments like that. Even the first time I walked up onto the um onto the uh, top of the pit straight Jensen button was there. Just watching the races go on as well. I mean, practice at that point, just the practice as well. But I think we've also got to, got to maybe touch upon stuff off track. So I think just for this, I will say, watching the Spitfires take off and go around the skies during sunset was pretty special. Or even the ones that um, that would go around at dawn. Like, how crazy is it to have Spitfires? open an event every single morning and then they close the event on the Saturday beautiful sunset it's that memory is going to be ingrained in me for a very long time
0: there, there are a few sounds more evocative than the Merlin V12 of a Spitfire and yeah that was one of my big takeaway moments from last year like I, I kept asking my editor at work "Oh, can I not have a car of the show. Can I do plane of the show? Because so I really wanted to include a picture of the Spitfires at sunset. Because you have sort of one of them is the silver Spitfires, so a sort of relatively well-known Spitfire for the sort of collection. And the other ones are just sort of two fairly standard sort of Supermarine Spitfires, and you sort of get these brilliant shots of ones are sort of taking off and sort of doing these fantastic loop the loops and sort of low high-speed passes down the sort of airfield. And you have the two flying in very close proximity, completely backlit by a glorious sunset. I don't know what prayers and concessions that the organisers of Goodwood make to the many deities of this universe to organise a sunset like that for the night that the Spitfires go up. It had been a blisteringly hot day, but the clouds were just starting to come in, so you get the soft, diffuse sort of golden light, and it's a proper gold now you get at Goodwood. It's not just sort of, it's sunset, everything gets a bit warm and orangey, everything's golden. And you've got this sort of beautiful silver, sort of stainless steel, sort of almost bodied, completely reflective Spitfire that just glints in the sunlight as it's rolling. And you're thinking, that's special. I can see why you've picked it as a moment. Oh, it's narrowed down what I've got to pick from now as a moment. Oh, I think for me, again, this is going to be one that sort of tells you the incredible privilege you get if you're a journalist at these sort of events it's got to be chasing Jackie Stewart around Goodwood because I who we did the guard, I managed to stand for the guard of honour so as all the, driver, all the drivers that are available and all the sort of journalists and all the sort of marshals and everything come and we sort of fill the assembly area as he comes through in his Tyrell 006 the car that he won the 1973 championship in 50 years ago he rumbles through pulls out onto the circuit and then just guns it and there's a brief moment where i sort of turn around next to me is mark weber at this point i turn to him he looks at me we both go oh it's that brief moment where everyone has that sort of slight bit of respect and reverence because it's jackie stewart it's sir jackie stewart you're that's damn cool enough as it is but he's in his car that he won that championship with with pretty good margin as well in 73 if i remember correctly and the noise that it makes is that cosworth engine just sort of howls like a banshee to the red line they sticks it into the next gear and like one he's well into his 80s i'm worried about my grandparents driving and they're in their 80s but jackie's sharp as a die and out there and so yeah, th- that moment there, and then I sort of run down the pits and get into essentially Park Fermi where I know he's going to pull into and we sort of come through there. I'm like, I need to catch him, I need to interview him for work, I need to get at least a quote that I can attribute to Jackie Stewart this weekend. So I'm sort of following, I see him obviously go down the sort of feeder road into the paddock. I'm like, well, I can cut through here. I've got my little armband on. So I sort of hop over the road, run through. And as he swings back in, he sort of literally pulls to a stop in front of me. I'm like, Huzzah. I've got him, I've got him. So I'm, I'm literally kneeling on the floor with my camera pointed eye level against his sort of visor and I've got these fantastic shots. There is light bouncing off the front of it. There is the tartan stripe around the side of his helmet and getting that photograph and then sort of being basically swamped to the car as he sort of gets out of it, people are thrusting things at him to sign and trying to get photographs with him. Ed Foster's trying to do an interview for sort of the Goodwood TV coverage. Ed gets sort of his interview done and then his sort of his Rolex miners come along and shuffle him along, to try and get him away from it all. But nobody notices me somehow being shuffled along in that pack. And I'm able to just sort of grab my phone, fire up a voice note, and sort of ask him a few questions. And that brief moment where he afterwards I sort of stopped my voice like thank you very much Jackie and just sort of stopped walking the sort of cloud of Jackie Stewart moves on and i was sort of left down there going I just met Sir Jackie Stewart that's crazy I think for me that is that weird it cannot have been a spell of time that was longer than five minutes from him passing me me turning to Mark we're going well wow, and then running around and finding Jackie Stewart again that entire thing could have lasted no longer than five minutes but for me, it has to have been like my moment of the weekend.
1: There were two, technically three moments where I heard the crowd really, really cheer. And that was when Sir Jackie Stewart went round in his Tyrrell, And then the other two times, because they raced twice, was the Setric, Setrican Cup, where it's... I mean, how old are these children? I'm not sure.
0: I don't know how old they are, but I've got the note for the Settrington Cup here. Let me find it. Here we go. Settrington yeah. Cups. This ran twice across the weekend: eleven forty-five a.m. on the Saturday and eleven fifty-five a.m. on the Sunday. And this is a two-part contest for the Austin J forty pedal cars of a type that raced between nineteen forty-nine and nineteen sixty-six. So I believe the Settrington Cup did happen in period as well, which is one of the Daft things. And a bit of history behind the J forty. This is a car that was built by Austin. Uh, Austin had their sort of nomenclature as Austin, and then it was A for Austin. And then A numerical sort of bit after that so you had like your a35s a40s a90s and subsequent models um but the j40 the j stood for junior this was their tiny little pedal car that was made with off scraps from the production line of of the sort of conventional petrol powered austins Um, and they were built by um sort of people who couldn't work in sort of more intense mechanical environments so people that i was sort of being rehabilitated after medical issues people that have been injured during service this sort of gave them an opportunity to have a meaningful job and build something and sort of have employment and work essentially it was so it's as it, a backstory at that point it's really quite nice and well-meaning and obviously it's given thousands of sort of well I don't, say thousands, I don't know how many were built in period, um, but plenty of children across the years, these chances to sort of get up close to having their own classic car. And they're incredibly detailed. You had a look at some of them up close. You lift the bonnet, there's a row of spark plugs wired in. They've got little horns, the what, lights work. And people have them done up in all manner of paint schemes and liveries. And yeah, this was a well over...
1: Oh, 50 loads.
0: ...car grid, I think. Something ridiculous like that. Um
1: yeah, they'd all park up just before the last chicane, side by uh, two rows of cars down the edge of the track, and all the children would then stand in the middle like a Le Mans star, and then run to their cars and then just pedal, pedal, pedal. They had this sort of makeshift chicane down the straight that they had to go through, and they got the loudest cheers throughout the whole entire weekend. It was it was so sweet and they were treated like actual drivers. They had the little driver armbands, they had the trumpets um, send them off, they got their little wreaths and they, I think the winner would get this like miniature Austin
0: The toy, The podium sitter's got a little plush Austin J40. Yeah, it's really sweet. Yeah. And yeah, it like I said, yeah, it's, it's just one of those silly, weird little Goodwood moments, but everyone loves it. You, you would have to have no heart and soul at all to not find joy in the Settrington Cup. And yeah, like you said, they have the Le Mans start at the beginning and they all sort of run or they split from the centre of the track to the cars parked up down the sides. There were according to, this is the thing, like you said, they are treated like proper drivers for this because they are included on the full timings list of all the official results for all the races where you've got all the big drivers and all their Ferraris and Jaguars and AC Cobras. So I can pull up the full classification for the Settrington Cup and you've got sort of obviously laps they've all done the one lap it is it is um weirdly enough it is everything all the other races in the book are listed by the distance they or the time they run for on the the schedule so you'll have things like the freddie march memorial trophy which runs for 60 minutes or the barry sheen memorial trophy part one 25 minutes Settrington cup 247 yards but it's included in the list and it's treated properly and everyone gets their timings um and even you can even get the fastest lap which for round one was awarded to austin buncombe who did the 247 yards in one minute 11.61 seconds an average speed of 7.03 miles an hour so he gets the full statistics and everyone gets their full sort of race order to it and they get their goodie bags afterwards they get the laurel wreath they don't give them cigars like they do the regular drivers probably for good reason. They are children. We don't give them tobacco. But even then, they're coming across the line. You, you do get a bag of sweeties. Um, even then, you're, you've are you got Jochen Mass stood at the finish line waving the chequered flag for them. And all the big racing drivers get involved with it. They've often got kids taking part in it. I think Jimmy Johnson had a daughter taking part in it. Karun Shandok certainly did. The winner from round one uh, was uh, one of the Buncombs, which is obviously the co-driver in Jensen Button's C-type. Like... And everyone's turning them on and just having a, a really good time doing it. It's it's and just nice.
1: The attention to detail as well, as we as we were saying. And, you know, in every other um race, you had the MG police car um go around the track, and also the safety car would be a e type. They had two Austins pretending to be the police car and the safety car that would come up behind them as well. It's just <laughs>
0: Yeah. There's the two slightly older boys that sort of pedal along at the back. They're not racing. They're sort of like the, the back markers of the field to make sure the course is cleared as it all goes through. And they're sort of pedaling along and they've got their hands off the wheel. They're just enjoying their time. I say older boys, they're probably no older than sort of eight or nine at this point, but they, now I've got a brilliant shot on the second race where they come down right by the pit wall and there's people leaning over the pit wall and they're doing sort of high fives. They're coming along and it's, it's just a fun time, a fun, silly time. Just of like genuine just kids being kids in the sweetest possible way but yeah and like they've got all the proper timing and everything it's it's hilarious
1: it's just one of those little silly moments that sort of just warms your heart throughout sort of Goodwood and um, we'll go back to actual engine power what was your favourite sound over the weekend
0: Ooh. Um, okay, this is a point where I could probably include a video of this one because I do have it, and it's Ford GT40 being started up because we, we were walking back through the paddocks at that point. One, there was the collection of four that were owned by like Lanzante or something or sort of managed by Lanzante, so they were sort of getting them fired up and just sort of doing the oral demonstration of what these Ford V8s sounded like. And the Cobra sounds great. It's got these sort of giant sort of four-into-one collectors down the side, big meaty American V8 noise. But because the Ford GT40's got its bundle of snakes exhaust system that sort of keeps everything kind of equal length and mucks with the sound a bit. So it sounds different and it sounds faster and racier and cleaner and i've been chatting with one of the preparers through the weekend so once he spotted that i was sort of kneeling down at the front of the pack clearly filming he sort of gives me the little wink and just sort of gives it this sort of fantastic blast on the throttle and i'll probably edit that in now so you can hear it just one of those all-time fantastic noises it, it has to be i for me the ford gt40s what yeah. would you say yours is then
1: mine is all very similar actually because i'm going to go for the wits and trophy just in general of the cars waiting to um start up um waiting to get off the line and these are your prototypes from the 60s like you said your gt40s your lola t70 spiders which make an huge amount of noise and your McLaren M1As and Bs. The roar was just immense. I don't think, I mean, I can't work out perhaps what needs more R&R at this point, my feet or my ears, but at least my ears were enjoying the whole entire spectacle of it. It was just Phenomenal, and I think I have a video of that as well. So hopefully we can uh, put that into
0: yeah. I get into the shared folder and I'll edit that in here. <laughs> let's see we've covered favourite car favourite race favourite noise favourite moment I think that sort of covers off the four big things that any person would walk away from Goodwood with uh, apart from possibly tinnitus and sore feet um, and we mentioned the the f- incredible driver lineups that we've seen across the weekend um, is there anyone we've missed off that list I think I've forgotten to mention Chris Harris who I bumped into as well he of Top Gear fame and collecting cars and whatnot. Um, I will say there was also Dickie Meaden, who, or you might recognize from things like Evo. I think he writes for Evo. Um, Yeah. Loads of other sort of recognizable drivers and faces pottering around. I haven't even gotten close to talking about the motorbikes as well. John McGuinness in there, Maria Costello. I think Joey Dunlop as well was out there. Like there's a, big field of motorcycles out there for the Barry Sheen Trophy. Um, We even had, I believe, a descendant of Barry Sheen riding one of Barry's bikes at the start of one of the races to sort of lead the field round to the grid. What a special moment that is. I think I've got a photograph of him on the bike, and you're thinking, oh, hang on, that is what is regarded as one of the greatest sportsmen in that field of all times, bike, and his family member riding it. At Goodwood, which is in and of itself a weird and special place. Yeah, just some really interesting names in here. Nick Swift. Well, well of is-
1: course, Adrian Newey.
0: Yes, of course. He's in, uh, if you go find the Undercut Podcast on Instagram, flick through our uh, Day 3 post. He's in the Lister Nob- Jaguar Lister Nobly uh, car number three. You can tell it's him because he's wearing the Red Bull helmet of all things. <laughs> um, yeah, so some fantastic names there. And yeah, you can go watch most of the whole weekend back on YouTube as well. Like all the highlights, all the live streams are still available to be watched back. Um so go do it. Tiffany Dell, can't forget Tiffany Dell as well. Um he's always a chatty fellow when I bumped into him before. Um surely you must be running out of fantastic names by now. I've already I mentioned Jock and Mass. Roman Dumas.
1: I was getting a, a video, actually, of Chris Harris waiting for the St. Mary's Trophy to get going, sat in the car taking a video of him. And this cowboy just comes and photo or video bombs my video.
0: 100% not me. Nothing to do with me at all. No, 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 no. Uh, but we've, have we mentioned Alex Brundle yet? I think we mentioned him at the top of the podcast. Yeah. yeah. Um, Johnny Herbert, we can't forget him. He was out and about across the weekend. Good old Johnny Herbert, um, World Touring Car Champion Andy Prelo. Uh, That was another name I just oh, on the them. list. That was the one I was about to get to. Of course, we saw Mister Bean as well. Um, just simply crackers weekend. So I'll give you one final question. Mm. If you had to describe Goodwood in three words, you can't just say glorious, glorious Goodwood. There
1: aren't even three words to describe Goodwood. Like I don't think I have the vocabulary to describe. Goodwood, word. Um, bonkers. Mm. Fun. And I'm trying to just rack through my brain of like, I'm like, I can't use that because that's just technically the same word as bonkers. <laughs> but that's the same word as fun. Just overall, it's just mental.
0: Yeah. That's- it's one of the things that's just brain-scramblingly
1: Mind-blowing, yeah. Yeah. So, I'll give you the same question then, seeing as you gave it to me.
0: I should have looked at a thesaurus beforehand. (laughs) Um,
1: That's what I was thinking.
0: (laughs) Okay, Goodwood Revival in three words. It's atmosphere, it's friendly, and it's extraordinary. There's your your three descriptors.
1: It's incredibly friendly. I mean, the amount of people I got chatting to, and as well, you know, I've gone to a couple of events as press now, and as as soon as I say I'm press, people like to question me Mm. on, well, what do you know? You're a woman. (laughs) Whilst I had none of that. Everyone just accepted it, but I was there because... Or we, everyone was there because we love cars, we love racing. We're all there to have a good time.
0: And yeah, just
1: appreciate screaming engines.
0: It's it's just wonderful, and yeah, it's one of those things that everyone is there for exactly the same reason, and that's where the atmosphere really comes from—is this appreciation of just having a good time and enjoying the fantastic cars that come together that really make the event and the stories they bring with them. So I think at this point we'll cut to our final sort of video piece we did as we were walking down the pit lane after the action on Sunday. So the St Mary's Trophy is wrapped up with Potter back to the press office, gathered up our things and we're now walking literally not even down the pit lane, down the sort of the grid at Goodwood and we'll play us out with um, with that here, so. Well, where, where are we now, Ellie Mae? We are walking down
1: the, st- well, the grid, the starting yeah. grid, basically. Yep,
0: we're walking down the grid at Goodwood. There are World War II Jeeps heading that way. The sun is setting up in the sky there. He says, yeah, there you are. Look at that sunset color. Um, final race of the day was the St. Mary's Trophy part two. And was it a firecracker? It was crazy. It was bonkers. <laughs> um, but yeah, we've, uh, we've probably already mentioned that at this point in the podcast because we're recording this before we've even recorded the main podcast. But um, final thoughts on Goodwood. First time at the revival, has it blown your mind?
1: Completely. I am really overwhelmed and I don't think it'll sink in until...
0: After we've even recorded the podcast.
1: Yeah, probably.
0: Favourite thing from Goodwood that you've seen? Three days, narrow it down to one thing.
1: Um, I'm trying to think really quickly so that you don't have to try and cut this. Um, can I can I just be really generic and be like the racing?
0: Yeah, we'll go for that. The yeah. racing. It's been good racing. It there has, has been, been very good racing. Fantastic races. Some amazing race cars. Obviously, to, loads of Tipo Two 50s, The Porsche Cup, the Ford Water Trophy, St. Mary's is always a firecracker. 1920s um, Le Mans. They they had a pretty. They were pretty racy. Good ding dong there between the Bugatti and the Bentley. Yes. So. That's Undercut Podcast from Goodwood Revival, over and out. We'll be back next year, hopefully, if they let us.
1: We'll try.